When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, we got some Week Four action to recap. We asked everybody to behave. You feel like they did? Not really. Yeah, not really. Not really. I don't think so. Um, ended up being a little bit more of an adventurous week than we would have hoped after a uh, an overly adventurous Week Three. Um, first off, how are you doing? You hanging in there? Hanging in there, man. Uh, little travel delays with work, but you know, other than that, I'm hanging in there. Yeah, as y'all notice, this is a uh, we're recording this show on Monday evening. We're about twenty four hours behind our normal schedule, but um, such is life. But we are, uh, for, for the record, we are going to be compensating you or punishing you, depending on how you look at it. Um, we are going to be re- releasing an extra show this week. Keep an eye out. We've got a, a several mailbag questions that have come in, so um, we're going to put out an extra little show here in the middle of the uh, recap and week five preview. So. Stay tuned for that, uh, Mike. We do need to recap these Week Four games. There was a lot of uh, a lot of shenanigans that went on during this. To start off, let's start the same way we started all these recaps. Uh, what was the biggest thing that you learned about the ACC this weekend? The Coastal is a total disaster. Um, I thought Miami might be the best and most complete team in the Coastal Division. They struggled against Central Michigan, which was a huge surprise. Virginia, uh, your coastal favorite, Joey, struggled against Old Dominion, took them a second half comeback to get themselves back in and ultimately pull away and win the game. You know, North Carolina loses yet again to App State. I called it. Um, I'd say uh, (laughs) uh, another blemish for the ACC Coastal Division. Uh, You know, and Virginia Tech, you know, if they were playing, they probably would have lost too. So there's that. Yeah. I yeah I don't know there was it's it's kind of starting to look pretty bleak for the coastal right now uh, that's really where one of our questions was headed and we'll talk about that on the on the mailbag show but basically like where we rank the coastal among power five divisions and short little preview not great not great at all <laughs> not great um, Mike the thing that I learned about the ACC this weekend and stay with me here I think there's a team in the ACC that could actually hang with Clemson. Oh yeah, I think there is. Yeah, uh, and is it? I mean, is it one cohesive team? Not really. It's first half Florida State and second half North Carolina. Um, I, I think that those teams. I think if you put those teams together, like you just let Florida State play the first half, and then you bring North Carolina out after halftime, I think that those teams together might be able to hang with Clemson because they look really good in their respective halves and pretty terrible otherwise. So, I. I think it's I think it's out there. If, if anybody wants to bend some rules and make things in Charlotte interesting, that's what we should go for. I think. Yeah, if you want to get your own little All Star team together, I think we can make that happen. <laughs> we'll see. But if there's anybody that knows anything about pulling off weird upsets, we probably need to start there. Uh, that's the P- Pittsburgh Panthers, Mike. Oh boy. Pittsburgh, thirty-five. The UCF Knights uh, of Central Florida, number fifteen in the country. They scored thirty-four points. That's uh, one one more for Pitt than for UCF. Pitt, once again, pulls off the miracle upset. Nobody ever knows how they do this, uh, but a, a remarkable showing for the Pitt Panthers. One week after they got some pretty horrific coaching, uh, they come back and they just jumped all over UCF. They were up 21-10 to 10 at halftime. Um, UCF comes storming back in the third quarter, but Pitt kind of is able to put it together here towards the end. They score a touchdown with the quote-unquote Pitt special, which was nothing like the Philly special, by the way. Um, the Pitt special with about a minute to go, Kenny Pickett catching a touchdown pass, and uh, that was it. Pitt wins 35-34. Um, again, a remarkable showing. I didn't see this coming. Neither did you, but uh, this is probably about the best, if not the second best, out-of-conference win for the conference uh, so far this season. Yeah, and UCF can't be crowned national champions this year, so there's that. We don't have to deal with that <laughs> talk anymore. Um, yeah, we were all really worried about that. Yeah. For sure. Um, that was a pain in the ass. Uh, <laughs> so 
I don't know how Pitt does this. I really don't. I don't understand it. They pull it off. They seem to pull this off every year. I don't. I don't know how they do it. Um, Kenny Pickett looked pretty good again, which is a strange thing to say. Now that's three weeks in a row. He's looked all right, and that's. I'm not sure how comfortable I am with that, Joey. And like you mentioned, it was really bad coaching a week ago against Penn State. They somehow find a way to pull it off against a, a UCF opponent that's pesky. Um, I. The fact that they were able to jump ahead of UCF like they did in the first half was what was most surprising to me. I mean, UCF came out and pretty much laid down. Now they stormed back in the third quarter. They played much better in the second half. But Pittsburgh to do what they did at home after the letdown against Penn State, where, you know, Pitt really gave themselves a chance to win and had some coaching decisions, obviously, like you mentioned, that cost them the game. Um, Obviously, a short field goal that went awry that we got into in great detail during the recap. Pittsburgh to bounce back the way that they did and for them to run a trick play at the goal line, like you said, didn't look anything like the Philly special, which is a little bit of a lie. It did. It just looked like the college version of it. It just wasn't very good, rough around the edges, almost got screwed up three or four times. That's college football. But Pittsburgh finds a way to pull it off. They beat UCF here. It's a huge, huge win for Pitt and that program and for the conference and for Pat Narduzzi, especially, who was under a ton of fire this week after what happened in that Penn State game for you know, Pittsburgh to welcome UCF in in a huge game and not only to come out swinging, but to take a huge lead in the first half and then, you know, be able to fall from, you know, they fall behind in the second half and still find a way to win. It's a huge, huge win for that program. And Pat Narduzzi seems to pull off one of these every year. He's now got some pretty significant wins on his resume there in Pittsburgh, Joey. He really does. I, I do want to dig into that pit special for just a second. And I don't know if that's a, a Pat Narduzzi call or if that's a Mark Whipple call. Um, ultimately an incredibly ballsy call, but we were talking before we came on here. If you go back and watch the replay a couple times, there were three players involved in this, in this play and each of them almost messed it up pretty badly. And it's, it's kind of a miracle the way that it worked out the way that it did. Uh, I mean, you've got the running back almost dropping the snap. You've got the motion man getting caught up in traffic and almost dropping the pitch. Then you've got Kenny Pickett getting caught up in traffic and the ball nearly got intercepted or deflected. I mean, this play was so close on so many occasions to getting messed up, but Pitt gets it done. They executed it. Um, I don't I don't know how much better I feel about Pitt after this game, honestly. Um, it, as I look at this, there was still a ton of errors. I mean, they missed multiple field goals. They turned the ball over. They had a punt return, uh, a punt return for a touchdown by UCF. Like, there was still a lot of messiness here. They benefited from a blocked punt that went for – uh, they carried in for a touchdown, but – I, I don't know how replicable this is, and and it's not like if I think that if, if they played this game ten times, I don't think Pitt wins more than like two or three of them. I think there was some some luck involved here that I don't know how how replicable it is. Um, you know, Pitt did sit on the ball; that's kind of their mo with over thirty five minutes of possession. But um, you know, good. Uh, we'll say it was lucky, but I mean, ultimately, really, really good win for Pitt. I mean, this is a, a serious notch, you know, in Pat Narduzzi's belt that. When we start talking about, you know, should we, should we not be looking for a new coach? That's got to be brought up. I mean, this is this is a UCF team that they haven't lost in the regular season since, what, 2016, I think we said? He wins big games. I mean, that's the bottom line. Pat Narduzzi finds a way to win these big games. And, you know, sure, they, they lose their fair share as well. There's sometimes, that you know, they don't look as good as they should against teams that they're favored against and should beat. Um and, you know, they get into big games sometimes and they don't necessarily play as well as they should. And, you know, we talked about the Penn State game, like Pittsburgh had a chance to win that game and coaching decisions end up costing him, costing him. And in the end, you know, for for Pitt to lose that game, you have to put it on coaching. They bounce right back and they have a huge win against UCF. This is a Pitt program that does this time and time again under Pat Narduzzi. And that's why it's so hard to really evaluate what he's been at Pittsburgh, because he just finds a way. Every time you think that he's out, down and out for the count, he just finds a way to keep moving forward and keep getting this Pittsburgh team the win column in these big games. It's it's impressive. And, I, man, I mean, you talk about Pat Narduzzi and Steve Adazio sometimes in the same breath, but, you know, Steve Adazio doesn't have wins like this on his resume, and he's been at Boston College far longer than Narduzzi's been at Pittsburgh. I mean, this is a different different conversation, Joey. I just had a revelation here, Mike. This must have been kind of what it was like watching Paul Johnson from afar. <laughs> this must have been it. Like I, uh, other teams, fans loved like complaining about him, but more from like a 
this isn't going that great. Probably time to hire a new coach. And like, I never, for the longest time, I never wanted to see that or agree to it. You know, I, I felt like it was going fine, but you know, this is the kind of thing you'd end up with, right. Is these big games that would somehow turn in Georgia tech's favor. I guess it's kind of the same thing here with Pitt under Pat Narduzzi. I, I could see it. Didn't think of it that way, but I could see it. <laughs> um, only other thing I did want to bring up in this game is uh, we've, talked quite a bit really over the last couple of years in this podcast. And we talked quite a bit on the preview show about Pitt that Pat Narduzzi being a guy of defensive roots, that their defense really for a long time has not looked good. And it's almost like it's gotten worse year over year over year under him. Their defense looks really good this year, Mike. It looks, I, I've been impressed by what they've done. They come away from this game with six sacks, 12 tackles for loss, a pair of interceptions. Um, this defense, and especially I think in the secondary is finally at a point that I, I think it's really on the upswing. I think that's going to be the thing that really keeps Pitt in games this year. Um, this offense, it seems like they can move the ball, but not necessarily with a ton of consistency or efficiency, we'll say. Um, I mean, you see Kenny Pickett going, you know, he throws for 224 yards, but that took 47 attempts and, and 25 completions, right? So it's not like they're really just picking up a ton of yardage in, in chunks in the passing game. Um so I don't know how much I really believe in this offense, but the defense really does seem like it is a, a couple notches higher than it has been in the last couple of years. The defense is the best that it's looked under Pat Narduzzi, and the offense is continuing to get better. They've been a little bit inconsistent rushing the football, but you look at Kenny Pickett over his last three games, he's looked pretty good at the quarterback position. If he keeps on that trajectory, you know, Pittsburgh's able to continue to play complimentary football. This is definitely a team that can compete in the Coastal Division. I didn't see it on paper heading into the year because of what they were losing on both offense and defense, but the defensive side of the football especially has been outstanding. The best, by far the best, it's looked under Pat Narduzzi, and offensively are starting to get into a little bit of a rhythm, which, look, with the state of the ACC right now, especially on the Coastal side of things, man, this is a Pittsburgh team that can definitely hang around and you know, they won the division last year, finished with a six and seven record on the year and, and won the division. This is a team that once again, I think has a pretty good opportunity to to do just that. This is a man, a better team than last year. And even if the record doesn't show it, they're starting to play fo uh, more complimentary football and play with some consistency. Yeah, not what I expected from Pitt at this point in the year. And it's I mean, how easily they could be one and three right now. And we're having very different conversations Instead, they're two and two and like you said, I mean, with what's going on in the Coastal, Pitt could win nine games this year. I mean, we that's could. that's very much on the table. They could also win like five games this year at this point. Yep. I, I don't know. So we'll have to we'll have to see. But there's there's a lot ahead of Pitt. With I mean, this is a huge win, and I, I you know dare to say that this is probably uh, this is probably like a top three out of conference win for this this conference at the end of the year. Yeah, um, absolutely. This, this is, is going to hold up. So. Good on you, Pitt. Big win. Big win. 35-34 winners over UCF. Let's move on. Florida State 35, Louisville 24. Um, once again, Florida State real good in the first half. Uh, they scored three touchdowns in their first four drives. They're out to a 21-0 lead before any you know before anybody's in their seats in Tallahassee, which <laughs> um, attendance not at an all-time high, we'll say. Uh, Louisville, of course, as we kind of knew that they would, then – kind of come crawling back and next thing you know Louisville's got a 24-21 lead and really at that point Mike you thought like oh here we go again Florida State has gotten out to another big lead and then they've just kind of blown another big lead uh, and that wasn't exactly the case Florida State puts together a couple of touchdowns uh, late in the game uh, they had a go-ahead touchdown to Scary Terry uh, uh, Scary Tamorian Terry as it were um, it was a bit of a botch by Louisville we'll talk about that a little later but ultimately uh, really good for Florida State to come back and win this game. Uh, you have to think that part of that might have had something to do with James Blackman going out in the third quarter. Um, I believe he had some kind of concussion-like symptoms. He, he was going to get an MRI yesterday. I haven't heard the results of that. I'm sure we could look those up real quick. But um, Alex Hornibrook comes in, transfer from Wisconsin. We didn't think we'd see any of him this year. He just goes 15 to 20 for 255 and two scores, um, including the game winner. So, uh, I think this is a big win for Florida State if that team is going to believe in themselves. I mean, being able to kind of pick themselves up off the dirt after Louisville makes that comeback, I think that's that's a good sign at the very least. 
big moment in this game. Louisville goes, um, or I'm sorry, Florida State's up 28-24. They go to kick a field goal there in the fourth quarter. Louisville roughs the kicker. Florida State ends up going in and scoring the decisive touchdown to go up by 11. That was a huge, huge swing. Um, mm-hmm. Louisville, you know, Louisville at worst coming out of that play would have, you know, if you don't commit the penalty, at worst you're down a touchdown. At best, you're only down by four. Um, they end up committing that penalty. Florida State goes in and scores, and that was really it for Louisville. Um, it was pretty clear to me in this game too, Joey, like Scott Satterfield doesn't have a ton of trust in Malik Cunningham to throw the football down the field. He finished with numbers that look pretty good on paper, 16 to 27, 286, two touchdowns and an interception. But there were a lot of times during that football game where it just seemed like the play calling was against any sort of Malik Cunningham pass down the field, which if he's going to continue to be the quarterback, which you want to pass out, you really have to wonder what the ceiling is of the Louisville offense with Cunningham under center in regards to the passing game. Um, this is, something that's looked very, very shaky. Um, Des Fitzpatrick, of course, had that 74-yard touchdown catch. That inflates the stats quite a bit for Malik Cunningham. So it's just something to consider moving forward when evaluating Louisville on the offensive side of the football. But like you mentioned for Florida State, huge win. Um, Alex Hornibrook comes in, 15-22, 55, two scores like you mentioned. We did not think we would see him this year. He comes in, plays a pretty good game, um, gets – you know, weaves in and out of the lineup with Blackman. That was interesting from the outset. They mentioned earlier in the week that we might see some of that. We saw that right off the bat in the first quarter, and Hornybrook looked really, really good. Blackman looked good too, but you have to wonder now with Blackman injured, if he's out for any length of time with that concussion, if Hornybrook kind of takes the reins there um, and puts a stranglehold on that quarterback position, you really do have to wonder, considering the experience that he's had at Wisconsin, the success that he's had in the past, what I think will happen is I think Florida State will continue to play two quarterbacks as long as they're both healthy, but it's just something to monitor, Joey. By the way, I looked it up. It was not a concussion at all. It was an MCL sprain in his knee. He's day-to-day. Okay. So both wrong. All to, say, all to say, this is a professional podcast, Mike, and we, we come very prepared to these episodes. Um, and, yeah, I mean, at the very least, you got to say you got to feel good if Alex Hornibrook is the guy going forward given what he showed you here. I mean, that was – that was a very veteran-like performance, right? Going 75% and not turning the ball over. Like Maybe he limits you in the run game a little bit with what he can't do mobility-wise. By the way, he had 18 yards in this game. I think that was his second career game with positive rushing yardage. So that's oh, yeah. shout-out to the mobile Alex Hornibrook. But um, I just, yeah, generally I think a good win, a, a good confidence-inspiring win for Florida State. This thing feels like it would really, really would have started a spiral if they had lost this game. Um Louisville, I mean, you, you mentioned a couple of good things that happened. They they continue to have some bright spots. I really like Des Fitzpatrick and Tutu Atwell there in the receiving core. Uh, I think those are some really good players. Whenever they get Juwan Pass back from injury, um, they're, they're going to be better for it. But Florida State defensively, I think, continues to look pretty good. Maybe not ultra consistent, but, you know, they, they have a lot of their bright spots as well. So I think there's hope for Florida State. They have NC State next week at home, which, I mean – is one of the other 10 teams in the middle of the ACC right now that could beat or lose to anybody in any given week. So uh, another opportunity for Florida state to kind of continue to build some confidence and and move forward. Um, Louisville for what it's worth, they're going to be off next week before they take a trip or they, uh, they have Boston college coming to town the following week, which I think will be another really good kind of uh, rain gauge game to see where Louisville's at. Yep, they're close, man. They're they're playing hard for Satterfield, which is more than we could say under Petrino last year. So, I continue to be impressed by what they're showing us this year. I this is a lot better than I thought it was going to be in year one. Um, they look better than what Jeff Collins' Georgia Tech looks like in year one. For what that's worth, for sure, a lot better. Go Jackets. Uh, Florida State thirty-five, Louisville twenty-four. Let's keep moving, Mike. You called it App State 34, North Carolina 31. Uh, and as I kind of alluded to earlier, North Carolina digs themselves a hole yet again. And this time they couldn't get out of it. Um, Mike, if I told you a month ago that through four games, North Carolina was going to be two and two, you probably would have been, you know, you probably would have believed me, right? Oh, yeah. And would you have thought the two wins were South Carolina and Miami? Nope. Yeah, I didn't think so. Um, UNC kind of, uh, I don't know, I don't even know what they are at this point. Like, and and maybe some of it, you know, I, some of this two and two record might be a bit of a referendum on what South Carolina and Miami are. Yep, I agree. I don't, I don't really know at this point, Mike. Like North Carolina scores a touchdown on their first drive of the game or on their first play of the game. Uh, Michael Carter with a long kickoff return, one play touchdown. UNC's up seven nothing. From there, App State goes up twenty to seven, and really, 
UNC, it's almost like they kind of felt like they knew they were going to win this game and just kind of quit for a while. And then it's 27-17 at halftime. Stays that way, you know, well into the second half. Um, you know, late in the third quarter, UNC scores to make it a 10-point game. Uh, it was, or excuse me, a three-point game, 27-24. And then App scores again. UNC has a late, uh, late field goal to try to tie the game. They miss it. And App State comes away winners. Um, by the way, I heard this stat today. UNC has not beaten uh, an in-state FBS team since, I think, 2015. I think they're, they've lost nine in a row. And that includes Wake Forest last week. Uh, they've got two chances later this year to make up for it against NC State and Duke. But I don't know. I don't know what NC, UNC is right now, Mike. I don't know what they are. Shout out App State blocking that field goal to beat a Power 5 FBS opponent uh, for the first time since that other Power 5 FBS opponent they beat in Michigan when they blocked a field goal to win that game. Um, Hell yeah. How about that for parallelism or whatever? I don't know mm-hmm. what you call it. Um, what if I told you that North Carolina is winning the games they're supposed to win and losing the games they're supposed to lose, Joey? I, I'm i not going to lie. I had that thought earlier, and I'm okay with it for now, I think. For now? Um, so North Carolina, Carolina. Yeah, North Carolina might have beaten the two worst teams on their schedule so far. Correct. And people are going to look, look at that and laugh, but think about it. South Carolina has not looked very good. Miami barely beat Central Michigan. We'll get into that game in a second. Um, they lose to North Carolina. You know, Miami's looked dicey. Obviously, they lose the opener to Florida. Um, App State, solid program. Now 3-0. and Wake Forest, 4-0 and now. This is a evolving situation in the ACC, Joey, and Miami fans are going to hate us for saying that App State and Wake Forest are both better than Miami right now, but I think they are, (laughs) and I don't think it's an outrageous statement to say so. I think North Carolina is beating the teams they're supposed to beat, losing losing to the teams they're supposed to lose to. Until we have more evidence past four four weeks into the year, I'm going with it, Joey, and I I don't feel bad about it. I... We'll get to Miami here in just a second, like you said. And, yeah, I mean, I've got opinions on people who think that Miami is some finished product right now. Yeah. Uh, they, they must be watching reruns from the early 2000s or something. I don't know. Um, North Carolina, I just – I don't know what it is with them. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of struggling to finish drives, struggling to get going on offense at times. I mean, they just – it seems like they just disappear for, you know, multiple drives on end, um, almost on both sides of the ball. There's – there's a lot of really good play mixed in with a lot of really bad. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what to think of this North Carolina team. Um, they're in a pretty weird spot. They got Clemson coming to town um, here this next weekend, and then they make a road trip to Georgia Tech. Um, and I, I, I've seen some some talk. I mean, there's UNC's kind of beat up. There's a bunch of injuries going around their roster. And there was some chatter of like, Maybe you just don't push it with Clemson. Maybe you just – gentlemen's agreement, we know who's going to win this game. Don't bother getting anyone hurt. Let Will Swinney and Kirk Herbstreet's kid eat, you know, in the game, whatever. And we'll rest up and be ready to go to Georgia Tech and win a game that we probably should be able to win at this point. I don't know. Yeah. We'll have to see how they play that one against Clemson. Um, one other thing I felt like was really worth noting here um, North Carolina now becomes the first team in recorded history to have a chance at a game-tying or game-winning drive against a Ted Roof defense and not get it done. Whoops. I don't know how you manage that, North Carolina, but you made history in, in the worst way there. Uh, you got the ball with 30 seconds left, down three points. That's that's textbook against Ted Roof's defenses. So go back and watch film and get that one right next time. But – I don't know. This this felt like it was a kind of a dangerous spot for North Carolina anyways. App State, I, I think I was underestimating App State a little bit. They look just as good this year as they did last year and then years prior. No drop-off. No. No drop-off. New coaching situation, even with Ted Roof somehow, not uh, not affecting them. So, um, tough loss for North Carolina. Again, we're still at the point of trying to figure out what the hell they are after we really thought we knew a couple weeks ago. So, I don't know. I don't know. We'll, see after, we'll have to see where we go from there. Uh, App State 34, North Carolina 31. Let's talk about Miami, Mike. Um, oh, boy. Miami Here we go. 17, Central Michigan 12. They did, not, they did not end up victims of the directional Michigan challenge, but not for a lack of trying. Um, 
They tried really hard. Oh, they tried. Um, this was a mess for Miami, and I think the best way I know to encapsulate it here, this was this was an ugly game, um, and, and it was the kind of ugly game you think Miami should be comfortable in with you know the defense that is as good as it has been and, and is capable of what it is in terms of turnovers and all that. Um, for those who listen to the solid verbal, this might sound familiar. Um, hat tip to Ty Hildenbrandt for this one, but he he mentioned in the game recap there was the following line that I just think so perfectly encapsulates what this game was for Miami. <clears throat> the Hurricanes gave up four sacks, committed 13 penalties, allowed a safety, dropped an interception, got a punt blocked, went one for 10 on third downs, ran for only 51 yards on 34 attempts. All of this against a mid-American conference team whose only other outing against a power five opponent so far this year Resulted in a sixty-one to nothing beating at Wisconsin. Whoops. So uh, Miami, if you're trying to think of whether you're in that Wisconsin territory right now, no, nope, no, you're not. Um, this was this was like kind of a disaster of a game for Miami, Mike. Joey, I hate to talk out of turn here, but I think we have an award to give out. Let's just give it out right now. Sure. Why? Why make the people wait? I, we don't need to make them wait. Go for it. Joey, the Brian Van Gorder you tried award goes to the Miami rushing game. Good Lord. 34 carries for 51 yards. Hey, they got in the end zone for a touchdown at least, right? <sighs> Joey, Joey yeah. a, a whopping one and a half yards per game. And, and even more so than that, there were, what do we got, six different ball carriers. There was only one of them who averaged as much as three yards per carry. And it was Mike Harley with one carry for five yards. Oh, yeah. Um, Miami's offensive line was a grease fire in this game. Absolutely horrific. Um, I was telling you, I, I saw multiple plays in a row where uh, Jaron Williams gets sacked. Um, guy coming over the left tackle. I don't think the left tackle like touched him on either play. The second one, by the way, was a strip sack that Central Michigan recovered for a turnover. So... That went great for Miami. Um, this team, Mike, I, like, I'm starting to think that, and, and, you know, stay with me here. It's almost like Miami in hiring a coach didn't need to hire a coach that would up the swag level there. Imagine that. Imagine that. It's almost like there was already enough swag at Miami, and maybe there needed to be a little bit of coaching and execution. I don't know. Who would have thought? Um, Joey, I need to – I need to apologize for something. Okay. So after week zero, we did a quick little recap on the Miami-Florida game. And yeah. I mentioned that that one little thing about Miami's offensive line maybe being a little bit better than a lot of people were giving it credit for because of Florida's defensive line. Mm-hmm. I was wrong. They're really <laughs> bad. They look horrible. Um, golly. Really bad. So Miami scores a touchdown on their first offensive drive, and from there, here's the drive chart. Oh, boy, here we go. Turnover on downs, punt, safety, punt, fumble, end of half, touchdown, out of halftime, punt, punt, field goal, punt, end of game. And and the other thing you might be saying to yourself is, well, Jaron Williams, a freshman, finally had a rough game. No. Mike, Jaron Williams is good. He's good. Maybe he holds onto the ball a little bit too long, which is like doubly a sin when you know your offensive line is kind of kind of trash they're blocking for you but jerry williams 17 to 24 250 yards and a score no picks he has not thrown an interception yet this year he's completing over 70 percent of his passes on the year like jerry williams has looked really good for miami and it, it's mind-blowing to me that now all of a sudden miami's getting this good you know this level of quarterback play and the offense continues to look as bad as it does yep that's the most mind-boggling thing to me is because we said coming into the year, we said it coming into last year, and we said it the year before, even when Miami was a 10-win team, we said, you know what Miami really needs? They need a quarterback, and they'll be okay. Well, they got a quarterback. He's really good, and they're still the same team, maybe even worse. That's a yeah. problem. Yeah, no kidding. This team is a is kind of a mess. Um and it's it's not I mean, it's the same thing you see with a number of these teams in the coastal division, Mike. It's like you see flashes of brilliance right you see a, a great play here a great series there maybe even a couple drives in a row that are really really good and then you see other drives where 
it's almost like they said, oh, like we had a couple of good plays. We can, we can let up now. And then it just like completely falls apart. I, you know, I don't know what it is with Miami, but th- this is, maybe it gets better, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it bodes well for what's coming up next in their schedule. I, maybe it does get better, but I, like you, man, I, I just don't know. I think I was wrong. Okay. First of all, I'm off the, I'm off the Miami bandwagon for best team in the coastal. That's over. I, I was probably on yeah. it for too long. Honestly, after that North Carolina loss, I was pro- I probably stayed on it too long. I'm out. 17 to 12 against a, a Central Michigan team that's terrible. I'm out. See you later. Done. Done. They were like a 29 point favorite in this game, and they won by five. And it was like ugly that. the entire way through. It wasn't like they had it figured out for like a quarter or something. They really didn't. I mean, they struggled the entire time. Yeah. Central Michigan had the ball with about 40 seconds to go and a chance to go down and win the game. Um, ended up as an interception around midfield for Miami. So that should not ever be the case <laughs> for a Miami team that's a 30, you know, damn near a 30 point favorite against a directional Michigan team. I don't know. Miami at this point, they've got a bye week and then they've got Virginia Tech, Virginia, and Georgia Tech all coming to uh, Coral Gables. So I don't know. It's, it's at least nice that they don't have to go on the road and, and they get a couple of inconsistent teams there. But Man, Virginia, I think that's on a Friday night. Good luck. I, Miami could be a home dog in that game at this point. It could be, but let's talk about Virginia. We should. Um, you want to go there next? Let's go there right now. I think so. All right, Miami 17, Central Michigan 12. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Let's talk about Virginia, Mike. Number 21, Virginia 28, Old Dominion 17. Uh, This game... A lot closer than it really should have been. Um, the good news for Virginia, though, is that they, they got out to a big lead early, and really this is just a, a, a case of Old Dominion kind of crawling their way back into it, right? Nope. Oh. Oh, yeah, it was Old Dominion that was up 17-7 to at halftime. And, and I think had a 17 nothing lead, if I'm remembering correctly. And had a 17 nothing lead. I was just going to mention that. This was a uneven first half for performance out of Virginia. That was a struggle offensively. And it didn't look great defensively either. Missed assignments, blown tackles. Everything you can't have happen against a competent group of five team happened in the first half. But good thing for Virginia, they have Bryce Perkins that they figured out in the second half, Joey. This is an absolute classic look-ahead spot with a trip to South Bend coming up next week. Yep, it was. Uh, by the time Virginia snapped the ball for the 10th time on offense, they were down 17 to nothing, Mike. Uh, this was 11 11- yeah, at home. Um, Old Dominion goes field goal, touchdown, touchdown. And in the middle of that, Virginia goes three plays punt, six plays punt. So, um, yeah, <laughs> they, they were in a hole in a hurry. Um, but they were able to kind of quit the bleeding from there. Um, they they kind of claw back into it, get a pick six to start the second half, uh, and, and ultimately end up winning 28-17. And it, it, it wasn't threatening by the very end. But it did get pretty dicey there for quite a while. Um, not the best performance for, for the Who's. Um, I don't. I'm starting to wonder what to make of Old Dominion. I mean, maybe they're just kind of a feisty bunch that, especially against some of these in-state teams, they really just get up and, and cause them a lot of problems. For teams in the ACC, specifically in the state of Virginia, I think we're rapidly approaching the "don't schedule Old Dominion" as your out-of-conference game in state. This is we're getting dangerously close to that point because Old Dominion has looked good. In a lot of portions of these games that they've played this year against Power 5 competition, and it really makes you wonder, Joey, how far away they actually are from winning some of these games on a more consistent basis. Hey, North Carolina, NC State, Wake, don't schedule App State. Virginia, Virginia Tech, don't schedule Old Dominion. Just get rid of it. For the love of God, do not schedule Old Dominion. Don't schedule Old Dominion. They're going to get up, and they're going to give you all sorts of problems. Um for what it's worth, Virginia still comes away with six sacks in this game on defense. I mean, they they were able to get things under control after you know the first call it twenty minutes of game time or so, but um, it did it did get a little dicey there for a while. Virginia weirdly had a problem running the ball in this game. 
uh, only you know 29 carries only resulted in 69 yards. Nice, um, very nice. Barely, not even two and a half yards per carry. Not the best look for them. Again, I think this is a bit of an aberration game for Virginia. I still very much believe in them. They're four and zero. They've got a big road trip to Notre Dame coming up this week. That Notre Dame's in a bit of a lookdown spot. I this was not as as pretty as it could have been for Virginia. But I think again, kind of what we were saying in the preview is like, I mean, Virginia got to a point in this game where it's like if they really, really wanted to keep their foot on the accelerator and really try to blow out Old Dominion, they probably could have. But at some point, you become content with an eleven point lead and just get the hell out of here and go to go to South Bend next week. I think. Yeah, Old Dominion weirdly went for it on their own twenty nine yard line, which I mean, don't hate the don't hate the call, but hate the play that they drew up. That was. Brutal. We were texting when that happened. I mean, that was a horrific play call. Yep, that was not a great play call. A slow developing option run when Virginia is loading the box to stop you on fourth and short at your own 29-yard line. You know, Old Dominion gets mm-hmm. stopped there. Virginia ends up scoring a touchdown there to really put the game out of reach. Like you mentioned, yeah. I mean, Virginia didn't need a ton of help stepping on ODU's throat. It ended up just being kind of a cruise control game there mid to late fourth quarter, but Virginia is having trouble running the football, which makes me wonder what the ceiling looks like for the Cavaliers moving forward. Now, the Coastal is a total mess. So to say that they're not a team that could win the Coastal because they can't run the football would be an absolutely asinine statement, right? Um, But Mm -hmm. at the same time, they are playing some tougher teams on their schedule coming up in ACC play. It does make you wonder, you know, with their inability to consistently run the football, What does their offensive ceiling look like if Bryce Perkins has an off game, if you try to make him carry too much of the load? How far can Bryce Perkins take them? I think he can take them pretty far because I think he's a very good quarterback. But, you know, he's obviously taken some hits. He's a guy who's had durability issues in the past. You see going into the Virginia Tech game last year, he wasn't 100%, and it showed in that Virginia Tech game. If he's healthier, I think Virginia wins that game going away last year in Blacksburg. Um And, you know, Bryce Perkins got banged up in this game, too. So it's just something to monitor with Virginia moving forward. They're kind of an inconsistent offense. They're they're figuring out ways to score methodically, right? They, they, you know, play action pass here, you know, quarterback sweep there. Like, they're figuring out ways to to get the ball in the end zone and move the ball methodically down the field. The defense has played pretty well, but... In, in order for them to really reach their ceiling, they need to figure out a way to consistently run the football. And I think if they do that, they're far and away the favorite in the Coastal. But until that point, I think it's a total toss-up in this division. That was the thing that totally gets me here. And this is this is the last thing I've got on Virginia. Is, um, it's it's pretty clear at this point that Virginia's bell cow back is going to be Wayne Tulapapa. Yep. Um, which that's a name that really rolls off the tongue. I, I love it. Um, he scored five touchdowns so far this year, but – he has really not been particularly efficient. Right. Um, he, he's, he's carried the ball 39 times for 152 yards, not even four yards per carry, which that is not what you're getting out of guys like, you know, Alameda Zacchaeus and help me out here. Who was it? It was um, Jordan Ellis. Jordan Ellis. I was thinking Jordan Mack. I was like, no, 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 he plays defense. Um, yeah, Jordan Ellis. I mean, those guys were able to give you a lot more bursts out of the, out of the backfield than what we've seen from Tula Papa so far. And it's, it's probably a little bit of a combo of, uh, of the running back as well as the, the blocking for him, but they, I, I'm with you. They, they could really stand to get this run game going as they get into the meat of their schedule if, if they're really going to you know, solidly win the Coastal Division. Do I think they could win it without right. it? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I do too. Um, it, it's like I, at this point what we've seen from Virginia, while it could be better, it's like it seems plenty good enough to be about – beat about anybody on their schedule. So, um, you know, for what that's worth, but. Except for Notre Dame, I think they're going to get murdered, yeah. but that's just me. We'll see. We will see. We'll, we'll be back to talk about that one. Uh, Virginia 28, Old Dominion 17. Let's move on. Oh, Mike, you know what time it is. Dudes to the oh, right. boy. Dudes to the left stuck in the middle with you. The dudes managed to pull one out. They do not lose to Kansas and Rutgers in, in, Back-to-back weeks. Steve Adazio's job safe for another few weeks at least. Uh, Boston College 30, Rutgers 16. Uh, This was a little bit dicey for a while as well, for what it's worth. Uh, Rutgers had a lead early in the game, but uh, Boston College kind of puts it away in the second half. Um, They score 13 points there to Rutgers 3 after halftime for a a comfortable two-score win, but it did not always look like it was going to end up that way, Mike. 
it wasn't all that comfortable in the first half anyway. 17 to 13 halftime lead for BC and Rutgers was <laughs> they were right there, Joey, in it the entire first mm-hmm. half. Arthur Satowski, their quarterback, uh, 23 of 33, 304 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Um, he was making some big time plays in that first half, uh, most notably getting punched in the face after a touchdown. That's uh, if Rutgers was in the ACC, that's your go ACC moment of the week, getting punched in the face 100%. after a touchdown pass. Yeah, as only Rutgers can, right? Um, so. <laughs> Anyway, Rutgers obviously right in this game. Um, you know, BC really struggled in the first half. They didn't get a ton out of the pass game with Anthony Brown. A.J. Dillon, big day. Big day for A.J. Dillon. 32 carries, 150 yards, and two touchdowns. First time this year we've really seen A.J. Dillon get a bulk of the load. He's been uh, he's been sharing carries um, throughout the year. It's either been Anthony Brown with quarterback keepers or David Bailey out of the backfield splitting carries with him. First time we've really seen A.J. Dillon as the bell cow back we all know and love. And I think that he was able to wear down Rutgers in the second half. It wasn't pretty for BC, but they found a way to win. That's the most important thing here coming off that loss against Kansas. Yeah, big volume day for A.J. Dillon at the very least. Um, 32 carries for the D-train. Not quite five yards per carry. So, again, I think there's some room to be uh, to be improved there. But Anthony Brown was fine, uh, barely over 50% passing, which – I feel like we've seen that movie before. Um, pretty good day for Boston College offensively, all told. I mean, they, they, again, they got it rolling in the second half at the very least, which was very necessary. The thing that we need to monitor with Boston College here, Mike, Boston College's defense might be bad. Uh, no, might be. They are bad. They barely got any pressure whatsoever on Rutgers. Um, this is not the Boston College defense we've gotten used to over the last few years. Nope. And you know what? Dan Rubin told us the case, right? He'd said, hey, Mm -hmm. the offense might be the side of the ball that has to carry things this year. This BC defense is going to be a work in progress. And boy, oh boy, was he right. Yeah, work in progress is one way of putting it. Um, I am working through the SP plus ratings. And defensively, Boston College is 103rd in the country. It's shocking that they're that bad. It's horrible. Steve Adazio defense. Used to be a top five defense nationally. Yeah. hundred and You said 107th? Uh, 103rd. 103rd. <laughs> Still bad. Yeah, it's not great. Not great. Um, offensively, 41st, that'll play. I mean, that's fine. But Boston College, I, you know, I, I just don't know what we're going to get from them here. This might be another one of those where it – I act like I, I feel really confident that there's teams in the ACC who will beat other teams in the ACC. And then, like, every single team, I'm like, oh, I don't know if they're going to make a bowl. I don't know if they're going to make a bowl. It's just, like, it depends on who's, who, who the coin doesn't come up on the right side for, I kind of feel like, at this point. Yeah, that's correct. It's a total toss-up throughout the rest of the year. It's really going to come down to who wins these 50-50 games in conference play that will get rolling in full force in October. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no kidding. So... Good win for BC. Kind of get back in the win column. That's nice. They're three and one, uh, so they're halfway to bowl eligibility. That's a good place to be at the end of uh, at September here. Um, upcoming, they've got Wake Forest at home, and then they got to travel to Louisville the following week. So those are, I mean, you could go two and zero. Oh, you could go zero oh and two there. I mean, that, there's a wide variety of outcomes possible. So BC probably one of the bigger wild card teams in the in the conference right now. We'll say. Yeah, unfortunately, we can't make the joke about Boston College needing seven wins because they played two FCS schools <laughs> in Rutgers and Kansas because they lost one of them, right? They lose to Kansas. <laughs> Might as well be an FCS school. Yeah, yeah. Damn it, Boston College. How do you do that? Boston College 30, Rutgers 16. Let's just get the hell out of here, Mike. Uh, Syracuse 52, Western Michigan 33. Syracuse also survives the directional Michigan challenge. Um, it, once again, was not – Always smooth sailing. Uh, Syracuse got out to a fairly big lead in this game. I mean, it was 24-13 at halftime. And really, at one point, it got to 38-19. Like, Syracuse had a big lead, and then they didn't. Uh, Western Michigan crawls their way back in, and Syracuse able to put together a couple of touchdown drives late in the the game to really put it away. But I I don't know. I'm not getting the warm fuzzies about Syracuse right now. Tommy DeVito had a good day, but not really against a particularly formidable defense. Most importantly, Mike, 
Western Michigan comes away from this game with 557 yards of offense. Like at this point, Syracuse's defense, bona fide bad. Uh, bona fide worse in the conference, uh, I think. I'm struggling to find a defense that's worse at this point. Um, SP Plus says they're better than Boston College for what it's worth. <laughs> for what it's worth is right. Um, Syracuse's <laughs> defense. <laughs> Syracuse's defense is the biggest takeaway for me in this game because they did not play very well. You mentioned giving up over 500 yards of offense. Now, for something that's more in a positive light, Tommy DeVito did play much better. You said, you know, you did mention, of course, it's Western Michigan. But for Tommy DeVito to put together a good game is important because he didn't have that going at all, really, uh, throughout the first three games of the year. He was much more consistent throwing the ball through the air, four touchdowns, no picks, 27 to 35 for 287. It was more consistent. He had 85 yards on the ground and a touchdown. So the consistency out of the quarterback was huge for Syracuse in this game. But the defense leaves a ton to be desired, Joey, and it really makes me question whether or not Syracuse can – you know, stretched much past five, six, seven wins. I mean, this was a 10-win team last year, and a lot of people had them penciled in as winning nine or 10 again this year. And with the state of this defense right now, I don't see it. They're two and two. I'll assume that they're going to get win number three next week when they host Holy Cross. And then you got to get three more uh, at NC State, Pittsburgh, at Florida State, Boston College, at Duke, at Louisville, and Wake Forest. I mean, again, we, we think a lot of things about a lot of these teams, but – uh, I don't know. I don't have a lot of confidence in where Syracuse is right now. I, I don't. There, there's again. There's just not enough consistency on both sides of the ball to really feel good about it. Um, it. It looked really good, Joey. It looked really good on paper at the outset when we did the season preview that Syracuse would get to that eight, nine, ten win mark, and now it's just not even close to the same thing. It's looking like last year was the aberration, not not the first couple of years right. under Dino Babers. Um, Mo Neal, big day, twenty six carries for one hundred twenty three yards and two scores. Tristan Jackson, six catches for one forty one and two scores. Um, Aaron Hackett also with six catches for two scores. So some good individual performances there. The team as a whole, I, I think, still leaves something to be desired. So I don't know. Big win, but don't know how good you feel about it if you're a Syracuse fan. Worried about that defense. Yeah, continue to be. Um, at least they covered five, put it that way. At least. Yeah, that's all I got. Uh, Syracuse 52, Western Michigan 33. Let's keep moving. NC State 34, Ball State 23. Not the big win we were really hoping for out of the Wolfpack. This was a fairly competitive game for kind of a while. I don't know. It kind of it stretched out there for a little bit in the third quarter, 27 to 10 NC State, but they never really did pull away in the way that I, I was hoping that they would. Um, I don't know what this NC State team is right now, Mike. I mean, Matthew McKay was okay. The offense in general was just okay at best. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not thrilled with where NC State is either. No, definitely not. I mean, if anything, we can say the offense had some balance, but it was 185 passing, 186 rushing, but none of it looked good at any one point in time. Uh, this is a defense that's been fine, an offense that's been fine, and that's kind of what NC State is right now. So I, I have no idea what they are. I mean, they're 3-1. and one, That's good, but I, an uneven performance against a Ball State team that is not very good. Yeah, exactly 30 minutes even of possession for both teams, by the way. That's that's a new one. Um, Ball State outgained NC State in this game by 20 yards, for what that's worth. Um, NC State turned it over twice to Ball State's once. Like, it's clear there's a talent differential here that enabled NC State to kind of easily win, but this isn't crisp, easy, you know, comfortable win for, for NC State in the way that I'd like it to be. NC State uh, keeping Ball State in the game with turnovers and missed assignments and penalties, it's just not a good look at all. And I don't know if this is a letdown off of a, a pretty disappointing West Virginia loss or, or what it is, but I, I felt a lot better about North, NC State after the first couple games, um, really big wins over East Carolina and Western Carolina, than I do now after a loss to what I think is a pretty bad West Virginia team and a pretty bad Ball State team. Yep. Um, so would have liked it to, to be a little better. I mean, it's, it's a win. A win's a win. Um, but instead of winning by 11, I'd like you to win by like 25 or 30 NC State. Cover that 19. But, you know, whatever. Win's a win, I guess. It's, they're, a, they're an uncomfortable team to watch right now. So, <laughs> like most in the conference, but just take it with a grain of yeah. salt. Well, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. Uh, NC State 34, Ball State 23. 
couple more here. Uh, Clemson 52, Charlotte 10. Clemson covers 41 and a half, Mike, by a half a point. You know, you know Dabo knows the spread at this point. And the over-under of 62. Push. <laughs> I did I did take Clemson to cover 41 and a half, and I took the over. The over pushed, and Clemson covers by half a point. Um, when you're on a heater, you're on a heater, Joseph. What can I say? Damn it, Damn it Mike. Yeah. Um, Speaking of which, I'm in like couldn't hit water if I fell out of a boat territory. So, yeah, I I know my anyway. picks my my picks and uh, you know on this podcast have been you know right around 500, but I'm I'm rolling it right around 61 percent of my bets on the year for everything else. So we're yeah riding a heater here in the opening month. Um, to the game. Uh, I don't have a lot here, Joey. Trevor Lawrence, 7 of 9, 94 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, both Venables kids played. Both Herb Street kids played. Uh, Clemson played a record like 103 or 104 players. I don't have the number in front of me, but it was over 100 players. It set a school record for the amount of kids they got into the game, so that was a big deal. Uh, I thought I saw it was like 111. A lot. Yeah, it was well over 100. I just don't know what the what the total was. If it was 111, That's thanks for pulling that number. I Anyway, um, 235 yards rushing and three touchdowns as a team. You know, ETN, 11 carries for 61 yards and a touchdown. I mean, it's Charlotte. What am I going to say, right? Um, it's 38 to three at halftime. This was never in doubt. I don't know there is much to say here. Yeah, it was a backup three, game, right? Yeah. Three quarterbacks with at least seven passing attempts for Clemson. <laughs> Put it that way. Um, it, was, it was so bad. First of all, uh, the last play of the game for Trevor Lawrence – was the first snap of the second quarter. And then he went to the sideline, got some Kool-Aid, got some orange slices, kicked back and relaxed. Yep. Yeah, that was one of those um, – you, you ever see that Sports Center commercial where uh, Aaron Judge gets up on the treadmill and, like, takes maybe 15 steps and then gets off and grabs the towel and the Gatorade and starts high-fiving everybody because it was the yep the old home, home run trot workout? Yeah, that's probably what Trevor Lawrence looked like out there. Um it was 24 nothing at that point, and it was just – I mean, everybody knows that's over. So um, that's all I got. Clemson's fine. They're, I mean, their biggest threat at this point is probably boredom, if we're just being super honest. This is true. Hey, uh, Joe and Gata, their big-time freshman wide receiver they were talking up has gotten a lot of playing time, scored his first touchdown on Saturday. So there's something notable. Mazel tov, Joe Nagata. Um, good on you. That's all I got. He's a man. He's a stud. Anyway. <laughs> Clemson 52, Charlotte 10. Uh, last one, Mike. Wake Forest 49, Elon 7. Wake Forest covers again. Uh, Wake Forest looks really good again. They're up 28-7 at halftime, uh, 42-7 at the end of third quarter. I mean, it. this was just kind of Wake Forest doing what Wake Forest does, um, really just not even giving Elon a chance to be in this game, and that's what you would really hope for from a pretty good team. I have an opinion on Jamie Newman that I'm going to save for our bonus podcast that we're dropping, but mm -hmm. – He's been really good. Yeah. He's yeah, been he really has. good. He really has. Uh, 27 to 35 for 351, five touchdowns and a pick in this game. Um, so that's hard to ask for a whole lot more. I mean, the pick kind of sucks, but other than that, that's that's high efficiency. That's that's a lot of a lot of good stuff there. So I'm not gonna sit here and act like I watched this game. Um, like I don't know if I could have if I wanted to, I might have had to pay for it or something like that. So um, but Clearly, good, easy win here for Wake Forest. Um, can't ask for a whole lot more than what they gave you. A big win for Wake Forest. Onward and upward, and 4-0, and Joey. The quest for center or whatever it's going to be, continues. Yep. Um, they, they don't get Clemson until game number 10. And as we've discussed, there is we're starting to stare down the barrel of a potentially like 9-0 and Wake Forest. Oh, boy. And that's, that's not an exaggeration. That's not a joke. This is a legit... Good high floor Wake Forest team. So I don't know who I trust to stop in Boston College, Louisville, Florida State, NC State, Virginia Tech. You feel good about any of those teams' defenses right now? Nope. 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 So let's see if you can do it. Steven Deeks, all the way. Deeks 49, Elon 7. Uh, that's all I got, Mike. You want to give out some awards? Uh, I guess an award, right? Well, I guess we got to do player of the week and team of the week. So. Oh, yeah, we got, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got a couple things. You already gave up the uh, Brian Van Gorder Memorial. You tried award. It just uh, felt again, right. Miami. It just felt right in oh, the moment. Good. Had to do it. Oh, it was 100% right. Uh, Miami rushing attack, 34 carries for 51 yards. I don't know if that's an attack or like a 
practice run or like a, a theory or what? I don't know. It's not, it's not good. Um, the go ACC moment of the week, Mike, we need to go back to something I referenced very early in the show. Uh, Florida State scoring the go-ahead touchdown. Uh, Louisville has taken a 24-21 lead, and Florida State comes back out a, a couple drives later, and they are trying to go down and at least tie the game. And uh, they ended up with a, a long touchdown pass to Scary Tamori and Terry. Um, it was a, a big play, and a, it was a good play for Florida State. The go ACC moment in there is – exactly how that came to be. Let's just say that there was a corner covering Scary Terry. The corner blitzed. Alex Hornibrook saw it immediately and threw to a Scary Terry that I don't think could have been more wide-ass open if if Louisville had wanted him to be. We would have scored on that. Yeah, yeah, I would have. And, yeah, I mean, that was – basically Louisville completely left Tamori and Terry uncovered. Um, I don't know who botched the assignment there, but – the, the go-ahead and game-winning touchdown for Florida State was completely uncovered to Maureen Terry. So go ACC to you, Louisville defense. Uh, that was a uh, that was an effort of some sort. A late rotation on defense, we'll call it. <laughs> late rotation, that's right. Um, all right, player of the week, Mike, also from Florida State. We're going on the defensive side of the ball. We've gotten a lot of quarterbacks so far. Uh, we're going to go to the defensive side of the ball. Really huge performance from defensive tackle Marvin Wilson uh, for the Knowles. He had 10 tackles, three tackles for a loss, two sacks, and a fumble recovery. Had a huge day. It uh, was a, a really big reason that Florida State was able to stay in that game and eventually pull off the win. So congratulations to Marvin Wilson for ACC Player of the Week and our first Defensive Player of the Week. It's quite the honor. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, he, he might have made the All-ACC team this week. We'll see. Um. Lastly, Mike, the team of the week, you know who this has to be. Oh, this is an absolute no-brainer, Joey. No-brainer whatsoever. You want to tell them who it is? <clears throat> the Pittsburgh Panthers, Joey. It is the Pittsburgh Panthers, yeah. You, you're, you're not getting out of here upsetting US or UCF like that, USF. You want to piss off a bunch of UCF fans? Oh, boy. Um, you don't get out of here upsetting UCF like that without uh, being named our team of the week, so – Congratulations to the Pitt Panthers. Um, brilliant job, brilliant coaching effort, really good game from them. So uh, congratulations. Knocking off uh, not knocking off the former national champion. Yeah. UCF Knights. Yeah, they got a banner. It says that and everything. Um, must be real. Must be. Mike, I think that's all I got on week four. Anything else before we move on? And week five will be trash too. <laughs> that's the spirit. Hell yeah. I actually think uh, there's a kind of an interesting slate in week five. Um, so that should be a good one to, to preview. Uh, before we do preview that, Mike, we are going to come back and we are going to answer some listener questions. Uh, we've got a bonus episode. And like I said, I don't know if that's compensation or punishment to the people from having to wait an extra extra couple hours for this show to, to drop. But we are going to come back and do that. And then, of course, we will recap or come in and preview week five. Um, that episode probably dropping like Thursday morning. So keep an eye out for that before games start Friday night with Virginia Tech and Duke, which that'll be fun for you, Mike. But we'll, we'll come back. Something like that. that. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to a wedding, so I actually won't be in attendance at this game in Blacksburg, which is probably for the best. You're going to tell your friends stop getting married on weekend on weekends in the fall. At least it's on a Friday and not a Saturday. There's that. I'm going to have to go to a wedding later this fall as well. So that'll be cool. Uh, Mike, let's get out of here. Let's go uh, answer some listener questions. In the meantime, you guys can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Y'all can send us an email with your questions, your comments, your concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. You can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, and most importantly, Mike, you can find us on the Anchor app, on the Anchor platform. So go find us there and check out our good friends at Anchor if you're ever looking to record a podcast. Uh, be just like us. Hopefully you don't want to be like us. Be better than us. Uh, Mike, you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Yeah, Facebook. Facebook.com slash Basketball Conference Joey. Rate and review and find all of the podcasts there. Also, rate, review us, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you do this thing. Um, make sure you give us a review. Tell us how we're doing. It's huge. It's crucial. I've been pumping it up on social media. I'm going to continue to do that. Throw us a review. It takes literally 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but like you said, I mean, super helpful to us. So if you appreciate the content that we are bringing to your ears right now, 
Um, it would be really appreciative. You know, we would be very appreciative. If you could go drop us a review. So please do that if you get the chance. Uh, Mike, I think that's all I got. You want to get out of here and go uh, answer some questions from the mailbag? Yes, sir. Long overdue, man. It is long overdue. It's going to be good, uh, good stuff. So thanks to those who sent in questions. Keep an eye out. That episode will be dropping here shortly. Uh, in the meantime, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.